Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. We're going to be continuing on with this. It's kind of a series, and I'm praying about it. Whether we just continue on with 1 Corinthians or whether we find another section. But here in 1 Corinthians, and it'll be a little bit repetitive here at the beginning, but that's just to put us back to, I, I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I can't remember on Monday what I preached on Sunday. But, but hearing y'all talk this morning, I said it scares me. It's like, y'all are listening. Miss Gay said, what, does it scare you that they're listening to you? That was pretty good there. Yeah, because if you were ignoring me, I could just get up and say whatever, you know. I just, there wouldn't be any accountability. But First uh, Corinthians chapter number 3, look at uh, verse number 18. This gives us the context for these first three chapters that we've been talking about. And that's what's different about this sermon is this, this passage, each one of these passages or each one of these chapters, you could do, you know, three, four, 40 sermons out of each one. But here, just taking a look, just pulling back, you know, getting up to 20,000 feet or whatever, and looking down and, and seeing the whole picture here that's actually here. There's a lot of doctrinal points you can pull out, but just looking at the context of it is, is a refreshing thing, and it has been to study. Say, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become as a fool that he may be wise. We saw that in chapter number two. We have the wisdom of the world, and we, we have man's wisdom. We have God's wisdom. He said, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Why is that? Because you need to empty yourself out so God can pour into you. you, you we, we get so smart. We get so full of ourselves. We get so busy telling God, this is how it works. This is how it ought to work. My goodness, you know, me, when I grew up, this happened and this happened, and I think this is how it ought to go. I, I just don't think of loving God. And it says, let us become fools. Put all that stuff aside. Paul said, I, if I, Paul said he, he, he put all that aside. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Jew of the Jews, but a, no. A Pharisee of the Pharisees, but he put all that aside that he may win Christ. And that's a paraphrase. And said, verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in man, for all things are yours. Let no man glory in man. And we're about to get to the meat of why Paul had to make this address in these first three chapters. He says, verse 22 whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and you're Christ and Christ is God's. And just to recapture that context that we're at, go back to chapter number one. There was contention within the church. Just to remind you where we are, there was contention in the church. They were gathering up they were lining up behind Paul. They were lining up behind Apollos. And others were lining up behind Christ, which is where they should have been lining up all along. But they were creating divisions within the church. And you have a church body, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, just for the context. And I'm just covering it. But 
You had division within the church, and, and a church body is supposed to be one. We're supposed to pull together as a church. I love saying this, not having any problems that are being addressed. You know, no, you're going to walk off mad today. I don't think, unless you've been harboring something. You know, that's between you and God now. But as a church, there should be unity in Christ and unity going forward and unity. And uh, he says, uh, he says, verse number 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, using all three of his positions, Lord Jesus and Christ the Messiah, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the household of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Paul's sitting there at supper, and Chloe said, let me tell you about what's going on over here. He said, how's, how's the church at Corinth going? And over there at the house of Chloe, some of them, <laughs> well, Paul, I don't know. It, they're lying. Some are saying they follow you. Some are saying they follow Apollos, and some say they follow Christ. There's a lot of division, a lot of problems going on over there, Paul. He says, verse 13, now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? We're not going to go any further there because we've already been there. But Paul begins to lay it out. He begins to lay out how God uses humble people, how God uses the base things of this world to confound the wise. Man tends to line up behind a man that he can look up to. You know, and sometimes that's a good thing because sometimes you need to reach a little higher, but when it comes to God standing, you need to line up behind the one God puts in front of you. Amen? That's for free. Uh, Chapter number three, in chapter number two, when we get to that, uh, he, he says all this, verse 29 of chapter number one, and I'm sorry to keep yanking you back and forth. I'm just trying to review in verse 29, he says that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And there's the context of what Paul's trying to tell them. They're trying to line up behind a man, and Paul's saying, first, how God sets aside man's wisdom, how he uses the base things of this world. He uses the things that man doesn't esteem. God esteems things differently. That goes, just for illustration, goes all the way back to David. I've chosen me a man after my own heart to be king. Saul was head and shoulders above everybody. I've given this illustration before. But they all looked to Saul and said, oh, man, there's a leader right there. And God said, no, this is a fool. Just wait. He said, uh, and in chapter number two, Paul talked about his approach to the gospel. He said, for I determined, verse number two, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. That sets us up in chapter number two. You have man's wisdom, God's wisdom. It takes place. A natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God because they are foolishness unto him. It says over there in uh, verse number 14, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So he talks about 
looking toward God's wisdom instead of man's wisdom. And he's telling the church at Corinth, you're lining up behind men. You shouldn't be. You should be lining up behind Jesus Christ. Now we get to chapter number three. Chapter number three, he's, he's talking about the church. And he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. You have the spiritual man, the natural man, and the carnal man. And these are carnal Christians. He said, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. You know, one of the conflicts in preaching is, is how, how, much, how deep to go. Now, that doesn't mean that my submarine goes all the way to the bottom of the depths of what God's word. But sometimes you start telling somebody something and, and then you realize that they really only know this much. And you try to feed a little baby a steak, he's going to choke on it. Amen. Do you all get that? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's back there like, yeah, I know all about feeding babies. Look over at uh, Hebrews, that milk and meat, and you've heard sermons on it before, desire the sincere, Hebrews chapter number five. I'm going to step back just a little bit, keep it in context, because that's how we're doing it right now. And he's talking about a better high priest, uh, just for context, verse number one, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men and all things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. And then he goes on to talk about them. But then he starts to talk about Melchizedek. He's, paying, he's going to an Old Testament type and he's looking at Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek came along after, after Abram, Abraham had, had rescued the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he'd rescued Lot. They'd been taken captive, and he rescued all their goods and everything. And it was after this, this Melchizedek showed up. And he said, uh, and he's talking about Jesus Christ here. He said, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Number one, Christ is a better priest than the ones that God ordained. He said, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. Paul's saying, I'd love to tell you all about Melchizedek. But, and it's hard enough to talk about, but you, you'll have a hard time understanding it. He said, seeing you are dull of hearing. For when, for the time you ought to be teachers, you ought to be teaching other people. He said, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. Those first principles of the oracles of God, if you go into chapter number six there, he, he says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. All those things are the foundation and they ought to be established, but you ought to be able to move on from there and see what else God has to show you in his word. So back to chapter 5, verse number 11, he says, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing, 
For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth unto them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, I know that I took you back and forth here. But Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, and he's telling them pretty much the same thing. He's saying, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. There are people that have been saved for 50 years that are still a babe in Christ. There are people that have been saved for six months and they've matured in Christ. Amen? I mean, some people, you keep fighting the same battle, keep fighting the same battle. It's realizing that you have the power to overcome through Jesus Christ. And you say, well, that sounds simple. Yeah, you can write it on a card. You can post it on your wall in a picture frame, you know. But until your heart is toward God, in his word, and the more time you spend with God in his word, the more your heart goes to him. But there's all those things that get in the way, right? There's life, there's the telephone call. You know, for me, it's the cat coming in the bedroom and rubbing my feet. I mean, it's something, it doesn't take much sometimes. And we laugh at that, but I, tell, I said, man, Wiley, you, the devil must be using you. I just settled down, start reading, and here you come. You ain't been in here for two hours. I just start reading, and here you come, rubbing on my feet. I know y'all like to hear about that. But there's something in your life that distracts you, something that the devil can throw at you. But uh, he says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. He says, for you are yet carnal, you are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? What does man do? Man seeks to lift himself up. Man seeks to have his way. When there comes a meeting, I mean, let's look at some of the old-time churches or whatever. You know, they'd have a, they'd have a meeting and some of those deacons would take charge, you know. I heard about a church one time where the deacons were, were all in an uproar and they said the pastor's not letting us do our job. They said the, the pastor uh, went and bought groceries, set them up there, you know, back in the days of paper bags, had them all sitting up there. And he said, all right, you deacons say I'm not letting you do your job. Pass it out. Pass out the food. I, I know I'm a little bit all over the place, but I'm just making some examples here. There's divisions within the church. People want to lift themselves up. And here's what was happening at the Corinthian church, and they were carnal. Paul says it's a carnal way to be. It's being like all the other men. You're trying to promote yourself instead of this church following what God wants them to follow. And that's where they were. And he, he said, you're missing out. There's things that I could teach you, but I can't because we have to cover this. You're, you're carnal. There's these divisions. This has to be taken care of before you can move on to other things. You say, well, God's not opening up his word to me. Well, you've been opening yourself up to his word. Amen. He said, for you are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not, yet, are you not carnal and walk as men? 
For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I, I listened to a message this week, and he, it's phrased different because he's NIV, but it says something about uh, a task for each man, or each man a task. You know, God gives to each according to his ability. Or according, God knows right where you are. And he gives you something to do. And whether you do it or not is whether you can move on to the next thing. I know. He says, but who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers by whom you believe? Paul's saying, I'm just a messenger. You're lining up behind me. You're lining up behind the wrong one. I'm the one the king sent to tell you his message but you should be following the king. And he says, I have planted. He says, I have planted. Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And there's that principle of farming. You know, there's some people that have planted the fields. Look over in John chapter number four. John chapter number four. heard a message a couple of weeks ago talking about this. But uh, Jesus just finished talking with this Samaritan woman, the woman of Samaria, and she's gone away. And uh, he talked about the true worshipers. He told her all that she ever did, told her about you have five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. And she said, I foresee that thou art a prophet. By the end, she was saying he was the Messiah. She said, uh, verse, uh, verse 30, then they went out of the city and came unto him. This is the disciples. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him to eat, ought to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And then he goes into the harvest. He says, say, say not ye that there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. You know, in that there's some that plow. There's somebody that hadn't heard the gospel, and, and when you go up and talk to them, I mean, it's like plowing. It's just breaking the ground, just, just getting the seed of God's word in there sometimes. Somebody may, you don't know what's been going on in somebody's life. They may have been sitting in a hotel and said, God, I don't know if you exist. They just hit the button, and on comes TVN saying something actually useful. Then there's, I'll let y'all think on that. Get mad at me. I think I'm more funny than I am sometimes. But uh, some, some have plowed the ground. I mean, in that moment, God was speaking to them. God was speaking to them. And then something else goes on in their life. Maybe they go to the bathroom. There's a gospel track that somebody else left. Somebody that was afraid to give the gospel to anybody, they just show up at Bucky's and just leave a gospel track in the bathroom when they leave, you know? 
too afraid to, to face anybody, they just leave a gospel track and leave. The fellow goes, man, I keep running into these things everywhere. Yeah, maybe God's trying to tell me something. And that's that plow on the ground. That's breaking up that heart. That's getting him ready. And then there's something that plant. And Paul said, I planted Apollo's water. You know, Paul comes along and he gives them the gospel. He tells them about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he, I mean, he just plants the seed. And God gave the increase. Apollos came along and he said, yeah, this is, this is what Paul was saying. Let me show you. And uh, it's like that Ethiopian eunuch. You know, Philip said, understand this what thou readest. He said, how can I except some man show me? And, and Philip opens up the word to him. So he says, Jesus said, and he that, re- that, and he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, but he that, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And here is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. And he's telling the disciples, I sent you to reap whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored and you are entered in to their labors. And Jesus, by this time, had already been all over the place. And there were many witnesses to his miracles. Remember, he told the blind man to tell no one. First thing he did was go and tell everyone. But there were many witnesses to his miracles. So that by the time they got to a place, word had already spread before them. There were other men that labored, other men that told them about Jesus. And uh, he said, and you were entered into their labors. And then verse 39 it's always gets split up in a sermon because that's kind of where it ends, right? Because you want to talk about sowing and reaping. But verse 39, he's looking out there. The Samaritan woman has already been there. It says, and many of the Samaritans of the, that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. Jesus is looking out there and I, he says, I say unto you, look into the fields that are white unto harvest. And there's a crowd of people coming up over the hill. Because of one woman that went down there, and, and all she wanted was a drink of water. But she goes down there and she tells everybody, come and see this man. You got to see this. And they all come. And when Jesus talks to them, and they said, uh, verse number 40, uh, verse number, oh, let's just do it. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word and said unto the woman, now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the savior of the world. So she did a little labor, but she doesn't get the glory. You witness, you, you witness to someone and the word goes in their heart. I told you about the fellow at work one time, you know, he, he asked me a question and opened it up. And I sat there and I just gave him the gospel. And then it was like the Lord said, okay, shut up. And I went out and did my rounds and just left him there with that. And it wasn't, you know, a few months later he got saved. But it wasn't because I led him to the Lord. It was because another preacher. That preacher was laboring. And, you know, he was entering into labors that I had already done. And then... What he said, that was a straw. That was, he got saved. And it doesn't matter. God gets the glory. He got saved. Paul, as Paul said, I planted Apollos, watered. And uh, 
So back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse number 7. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. All the glory goes to God in anything that we do. And, you know, that's another thing. When you witness, you get afraid. And, you know, that was the thing about Ezekiel when I went back and looked. And, and that, that was an eye-opener for me. When God was speaking to Ezekiel, he said, if I tell you to warn the man that's in his wicked and in his sin, and you don't warn him, his blood will be on your head. But if I tell you to warn him, and you warn him, and even though you warn him, he still goes on sinning, it, it's on his own head. If he, if he does right, then, then I'll forgive him. And I'm paraphrasing this real heavy, okay? Summarizing, or give cliff notes. But uh, he said, but, but if I tell you to tell him, and you tell him, and you, you've delivered your soul, you, you tell him. That's what we're, we're accountable for giving God's words. We're not accountable for the results. That's something to understand. That takes some of the sting out of it. So like the time when we were street preaching and, the, and Megan, little Megan, now she was little, and she hands a fellow a tract and he throws it on the ground, spits on it, rubs his foot on it. And ain't on Megan. That's going to testify against him one day. And, you know, I, it hurts. But it's like, it's like God told Samuel when they demanded a king. He said, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. Because their hearts were always stiff. All right. So neither he that planteth and he that watereth. Verse number eight. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. And uh, that was something that I heard. You know, we add and God multiplies. We can, we can add our work to the pile and God will multiply it. That's just a little aside. All right, so now that he planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You're God's husbandry. You're God's building. God put them all together. We're all part of God's plan, in, in essence. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. Now, Doctrinally, we're about to see judgment seat of Christ, but just for this point, this is just rewards that are received. But Paul's saying that I have laid the foundation. He says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. My brother-in-law does concrete foundations he doesn't build houses. He lays the foundation, and somebody else comes along and builds. If he, if he doesn't do the foundation right, the place isn't going to stand right. So everything's based upon what the foundation that he lays. If you lay the foundation based on man's wisdom, if you lay the foundation based on sales techniques, if you lay the foundation based on anything else other than Christ Jesus, you're laying a foundation in the sand. 
instead of on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. He said, and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. He said, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. We all start at the foot of the cross. Yeah, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Amen. And you get saved. We, we're all in that same spot. But we all in our own lives build up on that foundation that's laid on that, on that level ground at the foot of the cross. And your life is built up on things that are done. There's things that are lasting and things that will burn up. He said, now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, and precious stones, that's the lasting things. He said, wood, hay, stubble. Every man's work should be made manifest for the day shall declare it. Now just to back up, this is within the context. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. He's talking about entering into labors. He's talking about building on. He says, every man's work should be made manifest for the day shall declare it, for it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. I got a little note here in my Bible that says, like Lot. Abraham and Lot were kind of in the same spot. I mean, I'm not trying to rhyme, but Lot was with Abraham. They were both doing well. Lot was receiving blessings because of being with Abraham. But they reached a point where those blessings were beginning to collide. Their herdsmen were, were arguing with Abraham's herdsmen. And I have a feeling, you know, it comes down from the top. As I read that passage and I think about Lot, I think some of that may have been filtering down to those guys. And there was, there was division. There was conflict. And Abraham said, look out. He said, you choose the left hand, I'll have to go to the right. You go to the right hand, I'll go to the left. It's not good that we fight. It's not good that we do this. And the Bible says, and this is something that sticks out in my mind, Lot looked out on the plains that were well watered. Lot looked out there with his eyes and he said, oh, this is where I'm going, Uncle Abraham. And Abraham looks out there, you know, and it's kind of like that piece of pie. You got the two pieces of pie. One's cut a little bigger than the other, you know. The fella grabbed a big piece, and the other fella said, you know, if it was me, I would have given you the bigger piece. The other fella said, well, what are you complaining about? You got the small one. <laughs> Lot looked out there, and Abraham said, God will take care of me. That's fine. But you have Lot that looked out on the plain with, it, with his eyes, well watered. He pitched his tent towards Sodom, and his works were burned up in Sodom. By the time Lot left Sodom, I mean, there's a picture of the, of the Christian with nothing in the, in the, uh, in the tribulation or in, you know, at the judgment seat. By the time Lot comes through, he, he just pitched his tent, then he was sitting in the gate, so he was in the politic, involved in the politics of the place. We don't know where his cattle went. He had a bunch of them. Maybe he sold them to buy a house in, in there or an apartment or whatever he had. And 
as he's in there, he's in a wicked place, and that place gets judged. By the time Lot gets done, he doesn't have a wife. There's no cattle. There's no house. I don't even know what goods he was able to take out. I think just probably what he had on his back. And, and then with what happened to his daughters, that's not even worth mentioning, but he'd lost everything. Abraham lost nothing. So that's the picture of the judgment day, the, the works that you build up. Lot looked out on the plains that were well watered. He looked out with his eyes. So many Christians look out on the world and they say with their eyes, they say, well, this looks like the right spot for me. And God's saying, well, it's not. Go ahead. Because I know you're going to. And as they get out there and they get further, they get further, they get further away, further away. And, and it's just a memory. You know, I, I remember being in church. How many people you talk to like that? He said, if any man's work abide, verse number 14, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Verse 16, know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you? Now, this is often preached and I've preached it. You are the temple. I mean, we, the Holy Ghost resides in us. When we get saved, the Holy Spirit is within us. And we are the temple of God. But in the context of the passage, when you, when you look at a whole passage, Paul's talking to the church at Corinth. And they're a unified body. It's a, it's a believers gathered together in the name of Christ. And what's going on in this body of Christ is there's division taking place. And he's reminding them, you are the temple of God. He said, know you not that you are the temple of God, that the spirit of God dwelleth in you collectively as a body too. When you gather together in God's name, God's spirit. We always want God's spirit with us. Amen. And they're gathered together in God's name. How much of a black mark is it on, on the church body when someone harbors feelings of animosity toward other people, when, when there's hate and discontent. Y'all, I'm sure y'all have never been in a church where there's some hate and discontent going on, where you got people stirring stuff up. I, I'm sure you've never come across that in your whole entire life or even heard about that. Do I need to put sarcasm up here? So, <laughs> but Paul's telling them, you are the temple of Christ. You are the temple of God. And that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. Verse 17, here's the warning. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And he's talking to the church at Corinth in the context of this. And verse number 18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, there's your chapter number two. Or Chapter number one, God, man's wisdom, God's wisdom. Seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness, and again the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men. This goes all the way back to that first argument. They were lining up behind. That, that was the source of the division. And he says, Therefore, let no man glory in men, 
for all things are yours. And we have so much before us through Jesus Christ. He said, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and you're Christ and Christ is God's. And the book of Corinthians is about order. He establishes order within the church because the church at Corinth was a disorderly church. So he sets the order here. He says, all the things or things to come, all are yours. As, as children of God, even though it may seem like it's going against us, God's on our side. Even though we may suffer, and it says, yea, that all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, even though we're suffering, God is in control of everything. And he'll be the final judge. It says, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours. Death is conquered. We have eternal life. He says, and you're Christ, and Christ is God's. Don't get too lifted up, because you're Christ. Even though all of this, it's all for God's glory. It's all for glory in God. Even when Jesus came, he said, I came not to do my will, but the will of the Father. So that's chapter number three, and we'll see where the Lord leads on. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Are we a unified church? And we can be unified just sitting still, but are we, do, do we have a way forward? What is it God would have us to do going forward? And uh, that's something to pray about, and that's something to think about, and that's something to start doing. What do we need to do going forward? So, everybody stand.